Hello, all of my true crime friends out there. I am finally back after about a week and a half hiatus. I just wasn't feeling it. I had no motivation in my body. Well, first, let me just say hi. Welcome back to True Crimes Untold. I am your host, Jess, if you've never been here before, and I've been missing for a little over a week. I didn't have the motivation, not a drop in my body. Sometimes these cases, they just really take it out of you mentally and physically. So you just need a break sometimes. So that's what I did. And then of course, I was supposed to put this episode out on Tuesday. And then Monday night, I got really sick. You can probably still hear it in my voice a little bit. My voice is always raspy, though. So sorry if it's a little bit worse. I'm like, you You just have to put out the episode. It does not matter if you are sick. You have to give the people what they want. And this one, it's fucked up because it, it deals with issues that we are very much dealing with, <clears throat> excuse me, in the world today. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying because you think something like this could never happen to you, to your family, And I hope and pray that it never does, but just know that it really can. So you just have to be safe. You have to be cautious and just always be aware of your surroundings, you know, things like that. I'm a mama bear. I always have been. I am the motherly one out of my group of friends. So I will treat you guys the same way I treat them. Just be safe. So before we get into it, I am going to give a listener's disclaimer. This episode will, of course, include adult language. It does include um, the disappearance of a woman. It does include murder and just some very unpleasant things that people said happened to her. So if you don't want to hear things like that, hey, I understand go ahead and skip past. I said one day I'm going to do like a fantasy episode that we can all listen to. um, And it's not going to involve, you know, these other things that I usually talk about just just to lighten it up a little bit. So one day I really am going to do that. But until then, let's get into this episode. So this is the disappearance and murder of Brittany Drexel. Brittany Drexel and her family lived in Rochester, New York, and when Brittany was a junior in high school, her parents made the tough decision to get a divorce. Chad, who was Brittany's stepfather, had adopted her as a little girl after marrying her mom, Dawn. He was moving out of the family home, and 17-year-old Brittany was taking it very hard. Brittany was having a difficult time coping with the divorce, and it started to affect the other things she loved, like school and playing on the soccer team. She also had two younger siblings that she needed to be there for, as she tried her best to adjust to this new normal. As winter came to an end and spring break of 2009 got closer, Brittany got invited to go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina with a few senior girls from high school, and this was a huge deal to get invited by the older kids, and for the first time in a long time, Brittany was excited again. 
It was tradition for the seniors to go to Roe Beach and enjoy spring break before graduation. And when Brittany was ready to plead her case to her parents in hopes that they would let her go, they say no. Dawn does not feel comfortable with letting her daughter take a 14-hour road trip with a group of older kids that she has never met. And without any parental supervision going, Chad agrees. Brittany is not ready to take no for an answer. In the weeks leading up to spring break, she doesn't give up asking. She begs Dawn and Chad every day, and they continue to say no. Brittany's school was let out for vacation on April 20th, and on April 22nd, she asked her mom one more time, can she please go to Myrtle Beach? But Dawn stands by her answer, and Brittany got so upset that she left the house and had her boyfriend come pick her up and take her to a friend's house. Once Brittany got to her friend's house and calmed down, she called her mom to apologize and tried asking her just one more time. And Dawn, of course, says no. A TV show called Disappeared covered Brittany's case for an episode, and Dawn had told the producer of the show that she had a bad feeling about the Myrtle Beach trip, and she was sick of Brittany asking. But she did understand why Brittany wanted to go so bad. It was spring break, and Brittany did have a rough year with the divorce, so getting away and having fun would be a nice change for her. Brittany and Dawn come to a compromise when Brittany suggests letting her spend spring break at her friend's house. She tells Dawn she will call her every day and that she will still be close if she needs her for anything. Dawn says yes if she can talk to her friend's parents. So Brittany hands the phone over to one of her friend's parents and they speak for a few minutes. And when Dawn hangs up, she feels much better about the situation. As the days go by, Brittany calls her mom every day just as she promised. She tells Dawn that her and her friend are taking it easy, hanging at home, watching movies, and that they even got to go to the beach one day. On April 25th, Brittany calls Dawn to let her know that she will be coming home tomorrow just like they agreed, and she tells her for their last night they were going to stay in and have a cozy movie night. Brittany told her mom that she loved her and that she would see her tomorrow and they hung up. Later that same night, Dawn's phone rings and it's Brittany's boyfriend, John. When Dawn answers, she can tell that he seems panicked and he tells Dawn something that she could not believe. Brittany is not at her friend's house in Rochester. She's actually down in Myrtle Beach at the Bar Harbor Hotel with her older friends, Jen, Philip, and Alana. Dawn's anger melts away when John tells her that not only is Brittany in South Carolina, but he can't get a hold of her for over an hour now. Dawn starts calling Brittany as well, but she's not answering her calls either. Fear sets in when Dawn realizes that no one knows exactly where her daughter is. Dawn's next calls were to Chad, and they both try calling Brittany over and over, but each call goes unanswered and then to Brittany's voicemail. When John got off work that night, he went straight to Brittany's house to tell Dawn everything he knew so Dawn can tell the Rochester police. Since there's not a lot the police can do from upstate New York, Dawn calls a family friend that lives in North Carolina, and they immediately went to South Carolina to file a missing persons report with the Myrtle Beach police. Dawn, Chad, and Dawn's parents spend a long night trying to figure out a plan. They were all worried sick and couldn't sleep that night, but they knew they had to stay focused on finding Brittany. The next morning, Dawn, John, and a small group of Brittany's loved ones woke up early to start the long drive from Rochester to Myrtle Beach. 
They're only thinking about the positives and are ready to have Brittany in the car for the ride home. During the drive, John tells them what he knows about Brittany's trip before she stopped responding. He said she started out having a great time and she was hanging out with her friends until they started partying too hard and they would leave her by herself. As much as Brittany begged her parents to go on that trip, she told John she was ready to come home. Once they got to South Carolina, they went to the Myrtle Beach police and by this point they haven't spoken to Brittany in over a day. The first thing police do is track down Jen, Philip, and Alana to talk to them. They also wanted to talk to John, Brittany's boyfriend, because he was the last known person to have any contact with her. Police want to try and track Brittany's last movements by talking to the four of them, and this is what they learned. John says that when he was texting Brittany, she tells him that she's not with her group of friends anymore, that she had been doing her own thing that day, and she ended up hanging out with a guy named Peter, who she knew from back home. According to a police report, in the last messages between John and Brittany, she said she was at the Blue Water Resort with Peter when her friends asked her to come back to their hotel room and bring a pair of shorts that she borrowed from one of them. Brittany left the Blue Water Resort to go return the shorts to her friends, except she never made it back to their hotel. Police believe that Peter is potentially one of the last people to interact with Brittany, so they need to find him and talk to him. Peter is a little bit older than Brittany and her group of friends, and his friends had already graduated from high school, but they were enjoying a spring break trip of their own. Peter is well known back in Rochester for being a club promoter and knowing all the best spots to go out and have a good time. When police go to the Blue Water Resort to talk to Peter, they find out that him and his friends had already left, and it seemed like they left in a bit of a hurry at 2 o'clock in the morning on April 26th. They didn't even bother to get their deposit back. Police were able to track Peter down, though, because when he left South Carolina, he went straight back to Rochester, and when he got there, he immediately lawyered up, which raised some eyebrows for Brittany's family and friends. Police went back to the Blue Water Resort and got the names and contact information of Peter's other friends so they could talk to them before they got lawyers like Peter did. His four friends were named in the police report as Anthony, Matthew, Keith, and Philip. All four of them had the same story about meeting Brittany at the club on the 24th, and then they saw her again the next day at the beach, and then she walked back to their hotel later that night to hang out with Peter. According to them, she only stayed for about 10 minutes before leaving to go return the shorts she borrowed from Jen. The police requested the security footage from the Blue Water Resort to make sure that the timestamps matched the story that the boys told. Once they got the tapes, they see Brittany on camera leaving the resort at 8.48 p.m. on the 25th, which is right in line with the boys' time frame. As the police continue to go over the tapes, they see Brittany going in and then again coming back out at 8.48 when she leaves the resort. Then there's nothing. The only other shot they find of Brittany is from 8.15 p.m. when she's heading south on Ocean Boulevard on her way to the Blue Water Resort. Brittany was supposed to leave Peter's Hotel, go back to the Bar Harbor, drop Jen's shorts off, and then head back to the Blue Water Resort. But Brittany never made it to the Bar Harbor. So sometime and somewhere along that mile and a half stretch between the two hotels, Brittany disappeared, and there was no other sign of her. 
Police pull her cell phone records because they know she was sending and receiving texts up until the time she went missing. Maybe there was someone else that she was talking to that police don't know about that may have some more information. What they end up finding out takes Dawn down a much darker path. When police get back the phone records, they are able to trace its last ping and it was not in Myrtle Beach where Brittany was last seen, but to a cell tower over 15 miles to the south near McClellanville. This is in Georgetown County, South Carolina, and this is a very royal area located near the South Santee River, which is covered in swampland. It's hot and muggy and full of alligators, wild boars, and snakes. Brittany's family knows that their daughter, who grew up in upstate New York, would not just be hanging out in an area like this unless she was brought there against her will. This is the moment when Dawn and Brittany's loved ones start to wonder if maybe she had become a victim of human trafficking. At first, they didn't think it could be possible. How could that happen to good people like them? But it can. It can happen to anyone, anytime, and anywhere. Dawn can't stop picturing her daughter being in this place that she doesn't know. Maybe something bad did happen to her, and maybe someone took her against her will. Dawn wondered if someone was able to lure Brittany by offering her a modeling job. Dawn told My Hori News that Brittany thought about doing modeling in the past and she thinks that would be an easy way for someone to get Brittany to go with them. The Polaris Project is a huge nonprofit whose mission is to fight and end modern slavery. Their website says that making a fake job offer is a really common trafficking tactic. Dawn is becoming more and more convinced that this is what happened to her daughter, but the Myrtle Beach police don't believe that Brittany was trafficked, since they don't have any previous history of human trafficking. Tori Gesner reported for WTTW News in 2019 that not only is South Carolina one of the country's top 20 human trafficking areas, but Horry County Myrtle Beach is one of the state's biggest areas for trafficking. Dawn and Chad do not stop searching for their daughter. They passed out flyers while continuing to talk to police, just hoping and praying that the searchers would find a clue that would lead them to Brittany. Police started their search near the cell tower where Brittany's phone last pinged. The conditions of the area were not easy to go through, but that did not stop many volunteers and multiple counties to come together and use their resources to find Brittany. They search the swamps for days, and eventually police realize that there is no sign of Brittany there, and the case ends up going cold. Then in December of 2009, eight months after Brittany disappeared, an anonymous tip comes in. Police don't give much detail about the tip to the media, but they take it seriously and resume their search close to the swamps that they looked through just months earlier. The tip led them to the banks of the Santee River, and this time, they find something. Police find a pair of sunglasses laying on the riverbank, but Dawn and Chad don't recognize them, and neither does Brittany's boyfriend, John. But that still doesn't mean that they might not be Brittany's. She could have bought them while she was down there, and police are hoping that they can get some DNA off of them to know for sure. Sadly, there was nothing found on the glasses, and the tip ends up being another dead end, and the case goes cold again. 
A couple of months goes by, and then on April 9th, 2010, the police announce out of nowhere that they have several persons of interest in Brittany's case. Police don't give too much information to the media, and they withhold names even from the Drexel family. No arrests were ever made, and it leads nowhere once again. Then in 2012, a man named Raymond Moody, who is a registered sex offender that lives in South Carolina, is announced for being a new person of interest for police. Raymond's convictions include rape, kidnapping, and lewd acts on a child under 14 years old, so police thought he was looking like a good suspect. But it ends up being another dead end, and Raymond is never definitively connected to Brittany's disappearance. As the years go by and Brittany's siblings grow up, Dawn decides to move down to South Carolina to be closer to the investigation. She knows that being closer will keep the pressure on the police to find out what happened to her daughter. On June 8, 2016, the FBI confirms the Drexel family's worst fear by making an announcement at a press conference that they believe Brittany traveled to the area where her phone last pinged and that she was killed there. The FBI had new information that changed everything. In 2016, a man named Taquan Brown, who was a convict at the time for manslaughter, tells investigators a story that would give any parent nightmares. Court records show that Taquan says that in 2009, he went to a stash house in McClellanville, South Carolina, which is the area that Brittany's phone last pinged. According to Taekwon, he went to this stash house to give money to a man named Sean Taylor, and while he was there, he said he saw Sean's 16-year-old son, Timothy, sexually assaulting a teenage girl with a black eye in a room full of other men. He claimed that girl was Brittany Drexel. According to the testimony transcript, not only did Timothy pick Brittany up, but he also offered her around to all his friends and was selling her against her will for sex. So, Dawn's hunch that her daughter was trafficked was right all along. Taekwon said that he saw Brittany a couple of days after she disappeared, and while he was at that stash house, he saw her run and try to escape, but when she was caught, they brought her back into the house and brutally pistol-whipped her. He tells the FBI that he heard shots go off after Brittany was brought back inside, and he assumed that she had been killed. The FBI agent recounting Taekwon's story on the stand says that, quote, Several witnesses told them that Brittany's body was taken away and thrown into an alligator pit, end quote. When the Drexel family hears this, they are truly heartbroken. No parent should ever have to hear about this level of torture that their child went through. The only thing they can take comfort in is knowing that the police have Timothy Taylor's name and they will soon have more answers. And police know exactly where Timothy is. He's been sitting in jail. Back in 2011, Timothy and a group of guys robbed a McDonald's and Timothy was the getaway driver. The robbery didn't go as expected, and they all ended up getting caught. Timothy was given probation, but then in 2016, Timothy was arrested again on federal charges related to the same robbery. 
There is a legal concept that says that states are completely separate from federal government. So Timothy was charged by the state in 2011 for the robbery, and then the federal government arrested him again in 2016 for the same crime. Federal prosecutors argued that Timothy got off light for his first sentencing, even though he pled guilty. So they want to get him on federal charges that carry harsher sentences. Prosecutors do not want to offer him any deals unless he has information on what happened to Brittany Drexel. Timothy claims that he has no idea what happened to Brittany and that he only knows her from seeing her story on the news. Timothy's lawyers argue that law enforcement is so desperate to solve Brittany's case and that Timothy is an easy target for a suspect. Taekwon claimed that he passed a polygraph test on his part of the story that he told investigators, and FBI testimony shows that they did talk to other witnesses who corroborate parts of Taekwon's statements, but there's still no trace of Brittany's remains even after another search of the alligator-filled swamps and around that area. Part of Timothy's plea bargain involved a reduced sentence if he could pass a polygraph test. During the test, Timothy was asked if he knows who was involved in Brittany's disappearance. He responds with, no, I don't know, and the administrator moves on to the next question. Timothy is asked if he has ever seen Brittany in person, and again, he answers with no. When both questions were answered, the machine picked up deceit, indicating that Timothy was lying, and because of that, he failed the polygraph. The court had no incentive to lower Timothy's sentence since he failed the polygraph, and now all Dawn can do is wait and pray for justice for Brittany, since this is the most substantial evidence they have had in seven long years. During this waiting period, Taquan Brown came forward with more disturbing information. He told the FBI that he witnessed what happened to Brittany and specifically what Timothy Taylor and his father Sean did to her. It turns out that back in 2010, a year after Brittany went missing, Sean Taylor was arrested and charged with trying to kidnap a young woman from the same spot Brittany disappeared right on Ocean Boulevard near the Blue Water Resort. And on top of that, Graham Moore reported for ABC News 15 that Sean's brother Randall was also arrested and charged in 2001 for connections to the death of another missing woman, 19-year-old Shannon McConaughey. Shannon vanished in January 1998 after she left a Cracker Barrel restaurant in North Charleston, North Carolina, and she was found dead in March of 98. She was raped, murdered, and her body was dumped in the woods near McCullenville, which was where Brittany's phone last pinged. The charges against Sean and Randall were eventually dismissed, but I don't believe that that's just a coincidence that their names got brought up in Brittany's case. According to interviews that Taquan Brown gave to WHCC News 10 in the spring of 2019, he said Brittany wasn't murdered in McClellanville. She was murdered 130 miles south of Myrtle Beach in the woods near Jacksonboro, South Carolina, in a trailer that belonged to Taquan's uncle Herman. Taekwon said that the last time he saw Brittany alive, she was at Herman's, and this is a few days after he saw her at the stash house. 
He said it seemed like Brittany had been drugged and that he saw her a total of four times before she was killed, and he's not the only one who says they saw her. A group of Taekwon's acquaintances have also seen Brittany when she was still alive and being held captive. And now Taekwon is saying that it wasn't the Taylors or Herman that did anything to Brittany. It was one of these acquaintances, a man named Nate. He wasn't sure what Nate's last name was and he didn't know how to get a hold of him. According to Taekwon, Nate shot Brittany in May of 2009 and her body was buried and then dug back up to be thrown to the alligators. The FBI doesn't search Herman's trailer for months after the new statements from Taekwon and Dawn is furious that it took them that long to do a search. Herman died in 2016 and the property was still vacant, so she didn't understand why they couldn't just go there to look around. NBC News 10 reported that the FBI might not be taking Taekwon Brown's statements too serious because while some of his story checks out, there are big gaps missing. Taekwon also took another polygraph test in May of 2019, and he told NBC News 10 that it ended with the investigators telling him that they know he's holding back information. On December 9, 2019, Timothy Taylor was sentenced to 18 months of probation for his part in the McDonald's robbery, and he has never been charged with any crimes relating to Brittany Drexel. Brittany's remains have never been found, and she is still considered a missing person today. Dawn has spent the last few years advocating the fight against human trafficking, and she will never stop searching and fighting for her daughter. Human trafficking is happening all around us, and it always isn't someone who gets kidnapped and you never see them again. It could be someone you see every day or someone that lives on your street, and they might be being controlled by someone else. I suggest looking up all the signs for human trafficking and the ways the perpetrators con their victims. Hopefully one day we will find out what happened to Brittany, and there are many local organizations that are trying to put an end to human trafficking, and you can get involved to help keep your area safe. So yeah, you guys can definitely look into that. Um, I have, and I mean, there are just so many different types and ways of human trafficking that it really is terrifying. It it is a big, big thing that is happening right now. Um, So like I said, in the beginning, just stay safe. And, um, you know, hopefully one day we will have answers for the Drexel family, because they deserve to put their daughter to rest. Who does not deserve that, especially after what they have been through? So yeah, it is, it's, it's truly fucking heartbreaking, heart wrenching, just it's, there's no words. I could not imagine. I am not a parent myself, but I am very empathetic and I can put, I feel like I can usually put myself in other people's shoes and be understanding. So I, I really could not imagine what they have been going through since 2008. I mean, geez, oh man, their 17 year old daughter. But anyway, 
Thank you guys for listening. Hopefully one day we will have an update on this case and, and it'll be good news. So, but I will see you guys in a few weekends. Until then, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at True Crimes Untold Podcast. I'm on Spotify. Hit the subscribe button and you will get notifications with new episodes. You guys have a wonderful, it's Thursday. It is not Sunday. So don't let me say that. Have a wonderful Thursday evening. Bye.